0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's Monday, but it also happens to be the 4th of July. So happy 4th of July. Here's your headlines. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos reigniting his feud with the president, Mr. Biden, over inflation accusing the U.S. leader of misdirection and a deep misunderstanding of market forces. Chinese Covid shutdowns pushing Tesla to its first quarterly decline in deliveries in more than two years, raising questions over the EV maker's ability to hit its bullier targets.
1: Crude concerns, the IEA issues a red alert for a recession and calls on Saudi Arabia to pump more crude. While a Norwegian uh, lobby, oil lobby warns of upcoming strikes that could cloud or cut the country's output by 13 per cent. Travel chaos hits stateside as Americans celebrate Independence Day, while in Europe the disruption is set to intensify, with Ryanair cabin crew in Spain voting to strike. Let's take a look at stocks stateside. Uh, you could see in session, second positive one in three for the Dow where we managed to rally just over 1%. Uh, big stocks to the upside, uh, McDonald's, that was uh, one that uh, supercharged the market stateside. Also, when it came to the S&P 500, uh, we bounced. We broke a four-day losing streak, so into long weekend, a very strong trade that you saw for the major index. When it came to the NASDAQ, 9 tenths of a percent to the upside. Amazon, one of the big movers. Now, the last seven day is not so rosy though let's just take stock of the trade you can see how we have travelled, uh, down 4% over the course of that trading week, down 2.2% for the S&P and down 1.3% almost for the Dow. So it hasn't been the rosiest of longer-range pictures in contrast to where we wrapped up that Trade Friday. But, of course, major uh, concerns now around a recession. We've seen that started to reprice around Treasury markets. You've seen it in equities as well. Concerns about what the pace of tightening will do and what that will mean for the picture state side. And of course, this week we're looking at the minutes. Uh, many are wondering just what that would look like, how hawkish it could be, and what that it also just tells us about the future non nonfarm payrolls. Too closely digested for signs of further wage inflation, inflation rather, and what it could mean for any recession down the track, given that the high level of that we're seeing on that uh, wage pressure side. Let's just take a look at dollar crosses. This is how we are shaping up uh, for the early morning session on the uh, currency. You can see sterling euro. A little bit weaker versus the greenback at this stage. Both just suffering versus that strength. And there is a bit of a safe haven bid in the market. You can see expressed for the Japanese yen that has clawed back some territory with the 135 handle. Dollar, though, weaker versus the yuan, down two-tenths of a percent. A quick look at the oil trades. It's been one that has held up of late amid concerns about Russian supply yet again. You can see over the course we were up about 2.5 percent in trade uh, on Friday and uh, in session over the course of the week three quarters one percent so supportive action On WTI Morning Session, 108.5 almost, 111.70 on Brent at this point. So both just leaning positive. On copper, though, this is where the signaling function has come in as we take a look at the commodities market. Concerns about uh, what type of outlook we are facing and we've certainly seen some moves on the copper market. Look at that, uh, back above 8,000 at this point. But uh, the size of the decline, the extent of it, Dr. Copper effectively signaling to the market that there are recession risks too now that are being priced into what we're seeing on the commodities market. We'll take a closer look later on as we also delve into the metals market. Let me take you to Asia. This is what we're watching across those Asian markets. 26,100 where we're sitting on the Nikkei, six-tenths higher. The Hong Kong market fading slightly. A patchwork all day, isn't it? As you take a look at green on the Chinese market, up a tenth. Cosby trading down by just over 1%. So very mixed fortunes across the region. But this is seen as one of the more cyclical trades. The opening calls, as we're seeing across here in Europe, we're shaping up for what also seems to be a very mixed set we've seen that patchy trade across Asia, and you can see it now on these markets Italy 190 to the downside 29 on the French market both of those look a little bit soggy at this stage we did see modest action to the upside um, on some of these markets Friday the DAX was up about a quarter of one percent we saw a slight improvement on the French market by about a tenth but a flat on session for the FTSE but these markets again chasing a little bit of green now the DAX looks supported and we've got 55 on the UK stock market Steve
0: yeah, as you say, huge week ahead, but it's going to be a quiet start. We haven't got the uh, the, the hand on the tiller that is the US markets later on because they get a, an elongated holiday today. the so, yes, Fourth um, of
1: July, and they get to have all the fun of trying get back to getting back to their desks. I gather. It's well, been yeah, having chaos. a
0: holiday on a Monday, it's not quite as good as having a holiday on a Friday. Do is you think? It? Oh, for goodness' sake, yeah. Do you, you think?
1: They can enjoy the Sunday.
0: Uh, maybe, maybe.
1: Did you have a good weekend? Great weekend, thank you. you. I felt like half of London was out this weekend. It was just really? absolutely heating. Really? So no the sign capital. of people
0: putting in their belts because of the consumer uh, crisis we're seeing and spending and uh, cost of living. I think
1: so. It was just so packed yeah. in the city. And it was pride, of course, it was this weekend. Doris just reminded me. Yeah? Yes, Adele was on as Adele, well in yes. Hyde Park,
0: Goodness. so it was
1: it was very busy. Oh, Rolling, Rolling Stones, apparently. apparently yeah. yeah, gosh,
0: for the older generation. Um, <laughs>
1: A bit of sport around, probably.
0: There was a lot of sports. Yes, I watched one or two little bits of that. I have to say. Um, right, brilliant. So look, as Karen said, data, huge amount of data, set to dominate this week. Non-farm payrolls for June released on Friday. Uh, Dow Jones is forecasting U.S. economy to have added two hundred fifty thousand jobs over the month. That is sharply lower the May's gain of three hundred ninety thousand. Uh, This will come after the Federal Reserve releases minutes from its latest meeting on Wednesday, having hiked, of course, by 75 basis points at its June meeting. Now, this is familiar territory. Boss of Amazon fights with President. But, of course, this time he's not fighting with Mr. Trump. So to be fair to Jeff Bezos, whatever you think of the founder of Amazon, he's fighting with all administrations, so good for him, I suppose. Uh, Anyway, he has hit out at President Biden this time in handling of the spiking inflation, accusing the White House of either misdirecting consumers or of a, quote, deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. Uh, Mr. Bezos was uh, responding to a tweet from the president who was calling on energy producers to bring down the cost of gasoline at the pump. Well, the White House uh, Press Secretary, uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, who I actually saw, would you believe, in Schloss Elma last week, uh, in person, uh, yes, hit back at the billionaire, claiming oil prices have dropped around 15 bucks in the last month, but prices at the pump have yet to react. Well, what a a toxic mix politics is. What a surprise. Uh, Lale Akone joins us now, senior market strategist at BMY Mellon Investment Management. Very, very good morning to you, Lale Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us on the really early shift. Look, there is so much going on. Your excellent notes you provided with, so thank you uh, for those as well. Just pointing out to the, to the whack-a-mole nature of risks out there at the moment. Why don't you just give us the broad brush on what your thinking is? Good morning
2: morning thank you very much for having me look i think the markets are driven by two factors at the moment higher interest rates and higher inflation and that is going to be continuing for the rest of the year and even going to 2023 what we do and how we protect our clients money in this bear market if you believe in that analogy is really you need to be invested in short duration um, equity incomes in the sense that short duration protects you from that higher interest rate environment and equity income, of course, is a protection and a hedge against inflationary environments.
0: What about the underlying assets, though? I mean, a, a solid old week for the uh, bond market with the 10-year dropping to, what, 2.89 as of the close on Friday as well. We're not going to get much bond trading out of the U.S. today. But in terms of, I hear what you're saying about income. I hear what you're saying about short-term management of your portfolios. But the problem is, if the underlying product is going down because of those dual risks you mentioned, recession risk and higher inflation, yes, you'll get the income, but your underlying asset will be declining.
2: Look, I think for uh, just looking at the long-term yields, we still think that they have um, room to move higher. So around 20, 30 basis points move higher in the um, long-term yields until we see a major stabilization inflation and inflation expectations. And in this environment, I still do believe that value titled high dividend yield minimum volatility is going to perform of course to your point i think the market is pretty indiscriminate and in punishing even those high quality companies and for that i would say to investors be a little bit patient stay with your conviction long-term conviction um, trades are, you know, at this moment very messy because they are, you know, the technical indicators are very weak. Wait a little bit and then again uh, go further into um, those aspects of the, uh, of the markets that is going to come back once that bear market environment is over.
1: Can I ask you about market pricing then because we have sold off very aggressively some there's some of valuation fears down 20% on the market but the point has been made, we've sold off for not uh, the right reason in some ways we haven't sold off because of a recession necessarily and if the market pricing is not reflected in, in the sense that the market has sold off because of a recession doesn't mean that there's more selling potentially to come or do you think we're in the range where we sold off 20% average recession sell off about 20% 26% anyway, are we in the range anyway where we don't need to worry about further downside for markets
2: look I think the bear market is going to stay here for a little longer um, we had the shortest bear market people compare it to the COVID. Uh, bear market, but it took 23 days to go down and 103 days to recover. And of course, that was the shortest one that we've seen in history. I think for the multiples, but if you look at the multiples, the compression that we have seen so far is really coming from the numerator side, where we haven't really seen anything on the earnings side, which as those recessionary risks are going to be priced in, the analyst estimates are really going to come down in the next 12 to 18 months. And that's why I'm saying that stay here for little longer until we see a major uptick and, in, in, you know, a, a, an indication that a soft landing may be possible. So...
1: Can I also ask you about margins? I want to pick up where I left off on Friday. We were talking about uh, whether we now start to see some of the pain taken on, by customer, uh, taken on by companies instead of customers, that those margins have to start being reduced at some point as companies just can't simply keep on passing on increase after increase along the chain. Where do you think we're at when it comes to margin pressure?
2: I think this year and even the first half of uh, next year is going to be really about those companies that can really pass those higher input cost prices to their consumer. And for that, I'm looking at places such as energy, materials, uh, to some extent, um, uh, uh, healthcare as well, where healthcare especially is a place where those margin pressures are felt the least, and therefore it is one of our places, favorite places to put money into.
0: Lolly, In terms of this spat um, between business and politicians, it's a well trod path that in times of crisis, the politicians blame business and business blames the politicians as well. What do you think about this uh, energy price spat we're seeing between Biden and Bezos at the moment as well? I have sympathy for the business side of it, actually, because I think the politicians are, for once again, trying to score some cheap points at business with midterms ahead as well. Do you think there's a deep misunderstanding from the political community globally about what's actually going on?
2: Look, I think it definitely doesn't help the market at the moment, given the fact that you know we do see that energy prices are going to be elevated for some time. Uh, Russian pr- uh, production cuts are not going to be met by OPEC plus. China is opening. Um, and on this as to your point, this spat between politicians and businesses are not helping the volatile environment. So it's definitely a tricky it, it adds that you know uh, another layer of volatility into the markets that makes us investors' job more difficult. <laughs>
1: Lala, what are you saying off uh, for the uh, US dollar trade at this point? Because it has been a bit stop start. Now they're fading uh, yield story equations that uh, investors are having to contend with. But still, we are seeing a little bit of support to underpin that greenback.
2: I think that support is really going to stay for the next six months. Uh, in my opinion, that short dollar trade has not arrived yet. And the reason why is... Again, the Fed is very much aggressive and it's tightening its monetary policy. Yes, ECB is going to start tightening this month, but at the same time, it's tight-handed because of those fragmentation risks. And of course, we have China and Bank of Japan going into the opposite direction. That tells me that really that U.S. dollar trade is going to be intact for the next six months. But after six months, I think we're going to start to um, see a more... Um, sustained downtrend in the US dollar given that other countries will be meaningfully starting to aggressively tighten as well. Uh,
0: Lale, thank you very much indeed for getting up nice and early. I'm sure you were up anyway, being a, a senior market <laughs> strategist. Uh, nice. What time do you get up on a Monday anyway?
2: <laughs> I wake up around these times actually, yeah. so it worked very fine for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, not bad. Yeah, Six o'clock, be a delicious line for me, I can assure you. But Lale nice to see you. Thank you very much indeed. And we'll speak to you again yeah. soon. Lale Akone who is a senior market strategist at BMY Mellon Investment Management. That's the problem with living in the middle of absolutely nowhere.
1: Right. I have to
0: get up an hour before everyone else. Mm.
1: Mm. Lifestyle choices.
0: Don't you? Yeah, all right. <laughs> you're so right. And
1: if you're looking for sympathy, then, weren't you? No, there's no, no
0: sympathy. I didn't expect that.
1: Uh, Wall Street's uh,
0: top analysts have singled I did want some sympathy, yeah. Uh, Wall Street's top analysts have singled out their top picks as concerns are growing over the prospect of a potential recession. For more, check out our premium. Oh, What's our premium service? There you go. I haven't seen that room before. Our premium service, CNBC Pro.
1: The ECB is reportedly looking at all options to prevent banks from earning multi-billion euro windfall profits from its pandemic-era lending scheme ahead of the first rate hike this month. The central bank offered a total of 2.2 trillion euros in ultra-cheap loans during COVID to prevent a credit crunch. The ECB estimates Eurozone lenders could now gain up to 24 billion euros as interest rates rise, according to the Financial Times. Wouldn't that be a turn of events? Windfall profits for the banks in Europe? Now, the governing council will discuss multiple options, including placing the subsidised loans back on deposit at the central bank, FT sources say. let me get
0: this right. European banks that trade on a price to book of around about a quarter of their US peers, yeah? And one of the main reasons that the, the banking analyst geniuses who come on the show tell me that is because we have net interest margins which are woeful compared because we don't have the same profitability, we have a lower interest rate dynamic, et etc. Et yes. So suddenly now the banking sector, which is trading on roughly 0.3 to 0.6 price to book, i.e., the market believes it is worth around about half of what actually the assets, the, the banks believe it. Saying we're very guarded about this, suddenly gets an opportunity through wider margins to actually start making some money and getting back to the same kind of levels as US peers. Mm. And the central bank turns around and says, "Oh no, you can't do that."
1: Yeah, they want to close that spread very quickly just to make sure that the banks that don't clean up with windfall how profits. How dare they make
0: any? And look, I'm no defender of the banks. I, I, I don't want. I think they've made some woeful decisions over the years. But isn't it interesting how suddenly their NIMs have a, a, a glimmer of hope that actually there reliant, might be more profitability in a sector that has struggled. Hopefully.
1: Right, it's, and it's been yanked away. It's, it's just been going to be absolutely away. ripped away to make sure the banks don't, don't benefit, yeah. which is uh, mildly amusing at this point. Well, I, again,
0: like 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 the energy companies. Right. You were going to read, then I just I, I took that away from you. I took the, <laughs> but it's it just you no, know, my stream of consciousness. Why but
1: energy but just like companies, it, it's been slightly different. You've seen actually, you know bits of hope in the last decade or so but for the banks it's just been a tale of woe and then self-inflicted pain and scandal after scandal of they haven't inflicted self-harm it's come from elsewhere and here True. here we finally have one positive story for them where they may have finally yes. have a big boost yes. to the earnings and it's completely But it's exactly the same as the energy away. companies
0: isn't it? You've got, you've got a, a sector which look I've been to those big energy climate conferences the COP 21s, the 26 of this world, uh, where we were told they must never invest in hydrocarbons again, you mustn't invest in hydrocarbons, you must not invest in refining infrastructure, you've got to invest in renewables, you've got to invest in wind, what have you. And I have great sympathy for the transition, you know I do, I'm I'm Mm. a big fan of potential. But this same sector has now been told, how dare you make profits out of hydrocarbons? How dare you? Why are are we not getting the hydrocarbons domestically we want here as well? Surely you guys should have had the infrastructure in place as well. You've got politicians I'm not, I'm talking about the president, but you've got politicians who have lied about the root causes mm. of the infrastructure log jams in the United States and say, well, it's just because of COVID, when we yeah. all know in the industry that it was way before COVID that the infrastructure spending was halted and diminished because of the mm. uncertain regulatory environment stateside and elsewhere.
1: I see the comparisons and they have to prepare for the future and now they're writing checks and windfall taxes and when it comes to the banks, Again, so they need to prepare I am prepare not for the here to defend thing.
0: oil companies well, and banks. Well, for the banks, the next
1: thing is a recession, isn't it, around the corner that they would have to prepare for. So that work needs to be done too. Howdy ho. Well, coming up on the show, the head of the International Energy Agency warns the global economy is on red alert for a recession. More on that after the break. And for more on the war of words between Jeff Bezos and the White House, you can check out the Squawk podcast.
0: Welcome back. Chinese COVID lockdowns have pushed Tesla to its first quarter-on-quarter decline in deliveries in more than two years. The EV maker delivered 254,000 vehicles in the second quarter, well below forecasts and 18% lower than the first quarter. The Elon Musk-led company cited ongoing supply chain challenges and factory shutdowns beyond its control. Tesla was forced to completely shut down its Shanghai factory for three weeks in April. And I know Karen's keen to talk about this, so we'll do that later. There you go, tantalising. Okay, the head of the IEA, International Energy Agency, says the global economy is on red alert. Warning a recession is on the way as inflation soars. The group's executive director, Fatih Birol, uh, urged Saudi Arabia and other OPEC members to pump more oil to combat soaring energy prices.
1: The Swiss government says businesses in the country will be the first to bear the brunt of the gas shortage as it plans to spare households from the ongoing impact of the crisis. Switzerland currently relies on imported energy supplies for around 42% of its household heating. Meanwhile, strike action planned by energy workers in Norway could cut the country's gas output by 292,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, Or 13% of total output. That is according to the Norwegian Oil and Gas Association, whose members are demanding wage increases to compensate for rising inflation. You'd have to think that they've got a strong hand at this point, given uh, the pressure we're seeing internationally, that uh, no doubt uh, everyone wants this resolved very, very quickly. There's just no slack in the system at this point. So having a strike on top of what we're seeing uh, with the Russian output story and the price caps that we were debating all last week, it seems almost inconceivable that we can have a, a problem from a major, supplier predictable credible supplier at this point so there's a
0: problem here isn't there and this is what's confusing just about everyone out there and i certainly don't have the answers but i'm aware that there's a lot of contradictory signals out there as well the just on purely on oil there is this spot price there is the, the price uh, of the gas you're looking at there on the screen as well which are moving in a certain direction But there are actual physical product shortages out there, left, right and centre, further down the curve as well. And and a lot of the experts in the industry, including Amrita Sen, who we spoke to at the tail end of last week, are pointing this out on a regular basis as well. So you have enormous shortages in refined product across the board. And yet the spot market is actually rather steady at the moment, Uh, as indeed with that spat between Biden and Bezos, um, the White House... uh, press secretary pointing out, I believe, that that we've had $15 come off the top of oil. uh, And why hasn't this been reflected in the price of gasoline? Well, it's not quite as pure as that, because of course, as we know, the cost in refining product, getting hold of product Mm. to refine, is very, very difficult very often, and getting that to the pumps as well, and the costs associated all the way down the supply chain. So it is not as pure uh, as perhaps the politicians want the public to believe as well. But in the same measure. So you've got shortness of product, um, available product on the refined front. And at the same time, you've got other indicators like, as you mentioned at the wall, Dr. Copper, which has now gone down to circa 79 and some change on the spot price, 79.75, I think it was, down from over 10,000 at its peak in the last 12 months as well, which is a relatively reliable indicator of recession Mm -hmm. going forward. So, We've got on one side immense shortness of product available, and the other side certain uh, industrial commodities falling aggressively.
1: Is there an argument here for major producers to pump more? I mean, I know that there's recession fears lurking, but the recession fears are being driven by the extent of monetary policy to try and really tackle inflation, which is in many ways been caused by second round effects from a very high oil price. So if you got the energy price down, got the oil price down, would you then effectively start to tackle some of the high inflation that would enable the central banks to take the foot off the accelerator to an extent? Uh,
0: of course, you're right, but uh, in my exchange with a chap you've spoken to many times, President Macron, last mm. week. And apparently, on my question, the whole atmosphere in the room changed. I didn't even notice. Someone came up to me afterwards and something. Uh, and the fact is, I said to Macron, you know, you've, you've been speaking to the, the Saudi producers. It was caught on the hot mic as well um, that you've been saying that um, the president of the UAE, um, Mohammed bin Zayed, uh said that they, they just haven't got much spare capacity and it was very interesting listening to his answer there he actually pointed out that he hadn't spoken to the saudis but had spoken to the uae and you know there are concerns about so i hear you logically they should put more oil into the system because yeah. they are, by and large, as I spoke to barrels. Bureau, they are by and large very reliable suppliers of product. They are not immune to the fact that if they see a deep global recession, then the price is going to go down aggressively. And that's the last thing they want. They want a constant price. They want re- to, if nothing else, for, so they can well, well, invest going forward.
1: That's not what JP Morgan's saying. Uh, the 380 a barrel, if you that's do see. That's not their uh, some base impact. case scenario. Not their base that's, they're case They're just chucking out
0: a very large numbers.
1: Stratospheric isn't it? number, right, for the market. Yeah, well.
0: That's not their base case scenario, but I hear what you're saying. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.